You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from DenverStiffs.com, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mates from DenverStiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Today I am joined by a very special guest, somebody I'm really excited to talk to, and this is actually the first time I've ever gotten to interact with this person one-on-one, so I'm very excited. It's Ben Taylor, the author of Thinking Basketball. He has runs BackPicks.com, which is a terrific site. He's uh, largely focused around some advanced stats and some historical comparisons. He did a top 40 players of all time from a historical advanced stats standpoint, which is really great. He also has the Thinking YouTube basketball page and podcast where he just did a video on Nikola Jokic that I think was really, really interesting. We're going to have the video of that up on denverstiffs.com attached to the article with this uh, this podcast. So, Ben, welcome uh, welcome to the show. Adam, I'm psyched to be here. That felt like an incredibly long and rich introduction. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I did all that? Um, <laughs> but yes, this is the first time we've actually ever interacted. I'm, I'm pretty – Adam is the name, is that right? Yeah, that is right. Um, so. so let's do it. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, so you just did. It's timely to have you on because you know you have a, a really great YouTube page that I think is the perfect use of of sort of carrying a basketball conversation. There's great graphics. There's video. There's good details in there. And the one on Jokic, I think. You know, often when people talk about Jokic, national perspectives come in. I think local people sometimes are extra critical of, of the analysis because Jokic is such a unique player. I think it, it takes a, a lot of tender love and care to really analyze his game. But I, I thought you got him spot on. What were you itching? You, you crossed me as a guy that really enjoys Jokic from, 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 from that, uh, that piece. Is he one of the players you really enjoy, enjoy covering or enjoy watching? Yeah. I mean, I was itching to do him because as you said, he's particularly unique and I think that's one thing that became clear. I, I, I will develop uh, impressions of a player slowly. I like a long runway. Yeah. I don't like to have snap reactions. And then I'll when I, when I really go hard, I'll go deep. So once I said, okay, I'm going to do a case study on him, I'm going to do a video on him, and I start to look at more film, I start to watch more games or, or watch plays over and over again. And the thing that just couldn't escape me was like, this, this guy's a guard. He's, yeah. he's basically <laughs> a guard, right? And that in and of itself is incredibly unique for a seven footer, let, let alone someone who, you know, doesn't exactly move like a, <laughs> a blazing gazelle or something like that. Right. Um, so, yeah, that and then I always I get incredibly excited about passing um, or anything that involves like dynamic team interactions with multiple players. Yeah. So, yeah, I was pretty excited to to dive into him. It's interesting that you say you, you kind of don't develop opinions quickly you take time and i think that's obviously there's there's it's inherently smart to to take your time with anything when you're when you're analyzing it but i think with him especially so because you watch him he's on tnt one game and you watch him and he has 16 points you know 10 rebounds four assists and you think what you know what's special about this guy there's nothing going on but i do think he's one of the players that the more you watch the more you pick up on just how he's impacting the game in maybe ways that are not obvious on on if you just caught one game right it's it's even going through all of the passes it feels like if you just snapshotted like only one section or a couple passes it may not be that impressive it's the it's the totality of the work um and like you said sometimes you'll tune in and he won't 
be you know particularly aggressive that night and his numbers will be lackluster and uh, you'll, you'll come away and you'll think okay he's pretty good but there's a lot of little stuff going on um, even just you know how good he is on the glass and you know rebounding on both yeah. ends of the court and just kind of the the feel and the way he plays the game the only thing I really wish with him is that he dialed up his aggression even more yeah um, you know and he's 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 become he's expanded his role each season but and now when I watch him, I'm like, OK, he's he's on the brink of something really, really special offensively. But he just it, it you need to be relentless when you get to that level. Uh, it's one of the questions I want to ask you. So I'm going to get right into it. And I go back and forth with this a little bit. Um, I think Jokic is a guy that lets the game come to him quite a bit and, and just kind of reacts to what what the defense gives him. But how much more aggressive do you think he well, first of all, how, how much more aggressive do you think he can be and still be successful? But. Also, how aggressive do you think he should be as a scorer and just forcing the defense? When you watch him, how much more can he ratchet that up? Well, he, not there's not a huge amount. It's not like uh, he's got massive decision-making gaps or he's overly passive all the time. Yeah. It's more of just he's – what I'm seeing is someone who has developed a scoring game. The, the scoring game and the playmaking game complement each other, and I think that's why I get so excited analyzing passing and playmaking and decision-making because – Basketball is this beautiful balance where if you can score, you then pressure the defense to react. And once the defense reacts, then you start picking them apart with passing. Right. And then it becomes right. It becomes this just game theory thing that you just constantly torture people with. Well, you double team me. I'm going to find an open guy. You don't double team me. I'm going to score. Jokic at this point to me, his individual offensive attacks are starting to get good enough. And you're seeing this with the development this season where it's like, man, Every possession, you can kind of just torture the other team. And he does it a lot, right? But he doesn't do it every possession. And I think yeah. that that's the little bit more that I want. I want him to just constantly be looking to back someone down or take someone. Or, you know, if if because there's, there's a lot of read and react stuff going on with the offense. But maybe if a cut fizzles out, call someone over for a ball screen. Run the pick and roll with the ball. Like, like force the issue more. That's the idea. It's funny because point guards, that's the one position where I would say they use the their scoring as a counter to their passing. But every other play, like playmaking, all-around type player, they're trying to score. And if you take away the score, they have the, you know, the, the best ones have the talent to pass. Even LeBron, as great of a passer as, is, as he is, he's always putting pressure on the defense. And if you don't react, he's going to score. But if you do, right. then he goes to the pass. With Jokic, it almost feels more like point guards where... He's always looking to pass, and if you don't react to his passing, then he scores. It's like the scoring is his secondary idea. Right, and I think I think one of the big takeaways for me doing my historical work and studying impact of different players and different eras and things like that is it's almost a little secret. Like, point guard is a nominal, it's just a titular <laughs> thing, right? Right. The, the best players are the guys with the ball, pressuring the defense. This is LeBron, this is Michael Jordan, this is Kobe, this is now James Harden's playing this role, even yeah. in a sort of supercharged form. But the idea is, you know, you have the basketball and you're a dual threat to score or pass. Uh, and I, I very much see that with him. But to your point, he's almost still in this, like, traditional point guard, I'm going to pass first. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where I think if he dials up that aggression on scoring, because his scoring numbers keep going up. Right. And, and they're quite solid. Uh, <laughs> and so it's like, hmm, something's here. And then you watch the film and you see, oh, there it is. It's a it's an up and under. It's a hook. It's a post. It's a spin. It's anybody who's smaller. He's just going to back down. And he's like waiting for the double team. And if you double team, good luck. 
Right, right. 23 points per 36 minutes is, like you said, it's it's pretty good. It's it's right below, uh, maybe maybe a step or two below the elite score level. But right. um, but for a fourth-year player, I think it, it, it's promising. And as you mentioned, he just has so many stretches or games where he scores, t- doesn't take a shot or, or whatever that weighs those numbers down. I mean, there's months he goes 26, 27 points per game. Um, I, you have a, a passer rating stat, and one of the things I liked about your video, you didn't just talk about assist numbers and assist totals because those, I think, those tell a, an important story but not the whole story. But you you like to analyze guys for their overall playmaking and the impact. Talk about some of the stats you use to evaluate players there and, and why Jokic stands out even more so than his high assist totals per game. Right. So uh, it goes back in time for me looking at assists originally, you know, years ago and saying, wait a second, assists are missing something. You know, we're, we're, it's good to count this, but we, we measure the same thing as an assist, whether you throw the ball into, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the post and stand around and he puts up a hook shot, or you make the greatest pass you've ever seen <laughs> that no one else could unearth. Those are right. both assists, right? Yep. So I, I've done a lot of work on sort of unpacking those things. And the two big ones I look at, one uh, is a stack called box creation, which is basically trying to understand how many shots a player is creating for a teammate. Uh, This gets back into that whole dynamic of if you score, you pressure the D and then you find open players. The other one is passer rating, which is more of a a look at just what we would think of as almost like pure passing ability. Uh, Just the ability to make passes. um, If there's opportunities that are open, how often are you hitting them? How mm. tight are you, you know, are you good at hitting tight windows and things like this? That's that's the derivation gotcha. of those stats. And then, you know, we, goodness knows we don't have enough time to get into how they work mathematically. But uh, <laughs> the idea there we'll, is we'll trust that the math is correct here. He's, you know, it does something. Like, who knows what it does? Um, it, but when you look at Jokic, he looks like a guard in in two ways and he looks like an elite passing and playmaking guard in two ways one he creates a lot of shots for teammates he doesn't create as many as say you know a guy like james harden right now um no one does right Uh, and he's but he and he's maybe a little bit below you know your sort of like all-time offensive engines um but he's he's up there way ahead of almost every big i I could double check it i think he's ahead of every big ever in that stat then Mm. in passer rating Passer rating, he leads the league in passer rating right now. <laughs> and he's he's got a nine it's basically a one to ten scale, and he's at a nine. And wow. it gets it, it gets logarithmic after that. It gets harder and harder to get toward ten to account for outliers. Gotcha. And and so he's just the way to think about it is he's very, very high on this scale, both within this season and historically. Um and so yeah, that's that's him in a nutshell. You you talked about not missing reads, and I think that's one of the things that's so that that's probably one of his strengths is you rarely are watching Jokic play and say, "Oh man, he missed a guy." You know, like, "Oh, that cutter was wide open. He didn't see." He he just seems to always see the like A plus looks. Maybe he misses a more complex one, but more often than not, he he finds the guy that that where the ball is supposed to go. Yeah, that's that's a great point. It's everybody misses passes. Yeah, but. His, the percentage of the opportunities that he has that I, I literally in all the film study I did on this season, I can't remember more than one or two. And that's very rare. That's very, very rare. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to get more into Jokic um, and building a contender around him as well as some historical comps because I think he's a fascinating player to try to, you know, look at guys in the past and say he took this from their game or whatever. So we'll get back in just a moment. 
All right, I'm back here with Ben Taylor, author of Thinking Basketball and the Thinking Basketball YouTube page and podcast. And we're talking about Jokic um, and, and some of the passing. It's interesting to look at some of the guys from a historical perspective and say, um, you know, oh, he, he has shades of this guy or shades of that guy because he is so unique. And I think the advanced, advanced stats in particular really highlight just how unique he is. One guy, and I'm going to start, it's a weird place, probably not where you expected me to go, but one guy, whenever I'm looking at his stats and just saying, you know, oh, he's the first player since so-and-so to do this, one guy that always pops up is Alvin Adams, who is a player I actually know very little about. He's not a player that I think has is, is super popular, but he was, a, a, a from, from what I know of him statistically and, and from articles I've read, a playmaking big, a playmaking forward or center what do you think of that comparison? I think Jokic obviously surpasses him as a player already, but what what do you think of that comparison? Hmm, that was not a name I expected you to bring. <laughs> See, I'm telling the people listening, we've never actually spoken before. This is when we hit record. <laughs> this is it. Uh, it's interesting. My my so Adams kind of burst onto the scene yeah. uh, in the '70s and was very effective right away. He he played with a little more pace. He was a little quicker, a little more athletic. And I don't really connect the style of playmaking necessarily. Um, Jokic has a, I mean, he has everything, which is what I think makes him the best passer in the game right now. But, you know, I I expected you to go to historical comps of like high post guys or guys who hit cutters and things like that. Uh, I think Adams was just more of like a general all around player. He's never a guy I've done a super deep dive on. But when you get into the 70s and you get into the prominent stuff and the Suns, he comes up. Uh, but yeah, I would still not think of him as someone who has a similar play style. One of the things I wonder about with him, and again, this guy playing before I was alive largely, and and so I only know him through what I've read and, and so forth, but, you know, great mid-range jumper, which, you know, in the 70s I think is more or less equivalent to a three-point shot. It operated at the elbows, and by by being a guy that would a center that could play at that spot, just dragging the defense out, I think changes the way an offense can run and how productive it can be. But um, let's, what about, uh, what about another one here? Arvita Sabonis obviously is a, is a comp that you hear a lot. I, I actually think these guys are, are more different than people think, but what do you, what, what is your opinion on it? Well, I think I, I get the comp from a passing perspective Yeah. because if you, if you try to look at Sabonis when he's younger, before the injuries, when he was more athletic, there's a little bit more of like, okay, this is actually a big man. I mean, our Ar- 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 was like seven three. Yeah. Um, you know, he could actually put it on the deck and drive and make little lay down passes. Um, he he was equal or maybe even better as an interior. Now you can't be better than Jokic. He was he was about <laughs> equal as an interior passer. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, so some of the stuff he could do in terms of the setups for his passes. I think are are fair comps. I think he's also another guy who's you know should be in that conversation for all time great big men. I, I looked it up yeah. before we recorded. His highest in my passer ratings metric, his highest season was two thousand three. He had eight point two. Wow. So I mean, this is you know this is a guy who even when he was older, you know, very very skilled. I, I mentioned this on Twitter this week. If you kind of break them down side by side, Sabonis was better going over his head, more comfortable with reverses more comfortable using the behind the back. Oh, let me interject something. Sure. Because I, I had to cut this out for time. There's a play this season where Jokic, imagine he's, he's catching a post entry, and his, his right hand, he puts that big right hand up in the air. You know how he catches the ball and moves it in one motion a lot with just one yeah. hand? Yeah. Okay, 
So he sticks his hand out and in one motion passes it backwards over his head to Paul Millsap cutting down the lane. And it would have been an all-time passing highlight, except Kemba Walker made a really nice paint rotation. And so it just ended up going right to Kemba Ah. Walker. Looked like a terrible pass. Yeah. Uh, But I bring this up to point out that Jokic is only 23. And there are plays where I see, hmm, you could have tried like a behind-the-back wraparound there. It's yeah. as advanced as it gets, but he isn't trying it. Right. And I and I do wonder with time if he'll maybe open that up a little bit or try those things more. So what's funny is you talk to teammates and coaches and front office people, and they all swear his best passes are in practice. And I think for this exact reason is in a game, you know, you have to be a little bit more conservative or this or that, but... I kind of I think there's something to this, and there is a healthy balance between not turning the ball over and being willing to do you know crazy stuff. I compare it to Steph Curry; he takes bad shots, but those bad shots are the price you pay for the, all the good stuff that he brings. And I think with Jokic, the passing is the same thing, and maybe he could even dial it up. Maybe he's not at that perfect like nexus point. Maybe he can dial it up a little bit more and get a little bit more um, creative with some of those. What do you think? Right. Well, from a statistical standpoint, his turnover rates are actually relatively low given his passing proficiency and his passing volume. Mm. And and so that's one thing that's I'm going to make a video, I think, uh, on this at some point. It's ironic. You'd think lower turnovers are always better. But there seems to be a trade off point where the the turnovers simply become reflect like Steve Nash was not a low turnover player. Right. You know, Ma- Magic Johnson was not a super low turnover player. And I think this is a byproduct of what you're talking about here, finding that balancing point where you push so hard. It's not football, Adam, right? You're, when you when you throw a turnover, you just lose that possession. The other eight right. times, you nail it or whatever. You're just you're you're torturing the defense. And so, yeah, maybe there's maybe that's a little sign that he could he could push a little harder. I don't know. I get really excited when you talk <laughs> about him making better pack, pra- uh, passes in practice. Oh, I do think that probably five of his ten best passes that I've been able to witness um, did not result in an assist, so they get lost to time. Either it was a missed shot, or you know, it led to a, a pass that led to another pass that that got somebody open, and those right. don't tend to make the highlight list. But um, but yeah, so I, I I'm with you. I I think he has even more, not just from a scoring standpoint, but the more dominant and the more confident he gets, I think the more confident he gets to you know just try some some crazy stuff and. He reminds me, another guy, and I guess I'll bring him up now, uh, Larry Bird, to me, I think that, personally, I think there's probably more of a comparison between those two than the than the average person thinks. Now, Larry Bird, obviously more mobile and, and different things like that. But personality-wise, even, Larry, you know, the infamously took the left-handed, I'm saving my right hand for the Lakers or whatever. I think Jokic does this stuff too, maybe not so pronounced, but I think there's some times where he just gets bored with the game and... January second quarter, a little bit bored. He was going to try to. Do, he gets a little. It drives Malone crazy, but he gets a little bit loose. What do you think about the Larry Bird comp, and and what ways are they similar? What ways are they different? Ooh, I like this one. I like this one. Uh, first of all, you have the vision, of course, that they both have, and th- this sort of creativity. I think of the outlet passing. Like Bird yeah. was just one of the all-time great outlet passers. And Jokic, that's that might be another thing that's swept under the rug. It's like, oh, you know, Bill Walton's a good. Uh, big man passer yeah he was absolutely Jokic is a good big man pa- have you seen Jokic's outlets they're like they're from another planet yeah um I had to cut about 31 in the, in the video I was like oh that's too many I think he uh, had like four or five in this last game that I was like man that is just a high level pass and, and you almost right. take it for granted sometimes when it hits a guy right in the bread basket and you think oh yeah you know that's that's a that's a nice pass but no it's a 75 foot pass through traffic 
Right. The, the delivery is what gets me. It's one thing to have the vision. There are a lot of great passers in history, but he seems to just always put it on the money on these long passes. And, and, and you know, that's worth its own sort of piece of admiration by itself. Yeah. Uh, the OK. The other part of the comparison. Sorry, I didn't mean to uh, drop <laughs> you. That's no, fine. Um, I, I, the other part of the comparison I really like is that Bird was incredibly physical. It's probably the thing that was talked about him the least. He was one of the great off-ball players, not just from shooting or any of the kind of uh, more traditional theoretical things that we think about now, but he would bang. He would really use his body and his hips, and this helped him in the post, and it helped him on the glass. And I see a lot of that from Nikola. I love the fact that he'll just bang into you, try to get better position, move his hips into you, and he does this either in, when he's setting up his post moves or I think it really helps him uh, on the boards. And that's why, you know, he's got really good rebounding numbers. Yeah. The guy I always talk about with this type of gravity is Boris Diaw, because I think Diaw was so good at tricking guys into sticking close to him for no reason. And one of the things I used to do as a player, when I knew, when I was on the weak side and I knew a guy was about to drive, I'd start boxing out. And because the defender starts thinking, well, I best, I better start boxing out if, if this guy is. And it just, it take, it almost is distracting from the help responsibility that player's about to have. I think Jokic does a bunch of these things where it's just he he's tricking the help side defense into doing something that distracts them from what they're supposed to be doing. And 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 so that's just another it's another one of those things where I think you have to watch Jokic not just once or twice here or there but just watch him consistently to see to pick up on all of these things. Adam, if you have game footage you can send it to me, and we'll do a video this summer. It'll be Adam Mares. We'll break down the game. I don't know what my conclusions will be yet. <laughs> Perfect. I'm in. I'm in. Um, you mentioned Bill Walton as well. I, he's a he's a guy I obviously love, but I, I don't know his game because that was before my time as well. Do you see a comp there? Are they pretty different? I, I, a lot of people want to make a connection, at least from the passing standpoint. Um I I, I don't necessarily see them as being particularly similar. Uh, I, I think Walton is one of those. Walton was always a very good passer, mm-hmm. but he's also a guy. And maybe we can segue into the Jokic's fit around the Nuggets based on this. Perfect. He had he had great fit with the system that Jack Ramsey put in place in Portland that became the legendary Blazer Mania. Yeah. And that was specifically the willingness to pass, very high motor and activity. So give up the ball, set screens, get it back. And he was really good at high post passes. He was really good at cutters. Um, And when he got to Boston years later, he became really kind of known for these like over the head or kind of like fancy touch passes playing off of Larry Bird's passing. And Mm. it's not that he wasn't a very good passer. It's just those moments are like indelible. Yeah. And they they become burned in our mind. And so it's interesting to me. There are there are other big men passers that I consider clearly better than him. But he's a guy that we always go to. Mm. By the way, one of one of the recent ones would be Vladi Divac. I'm surprised. Right. Uh, He kind of gets slept on at the end of his career in Sacramento. He was fantastic. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, we will move on, though, because I do want to talk about building a contender around Jokic. And first, just. Big picture, I, I guess I would just ask you, what types of players are necessary? Not not just, you know, you would like to see, but necessary for building around Jokic. Well, you, you, the first thing I think of is the passing. So you want shooters. Yeah. And I think you want guys who are willing to cut, move, and run. And the Nuggets, right, I think they have that to, to a degree. But 
it's not like I look at it and say, okay, he's in the most optimal system ever. I think he's in a system, and I think people almost view him this way. I've seen a number of comments on the video like this that basically say, well, you know, he's playing in a system that's built around him. Right, right. Um, to me, that's like saying, you know, that that Magic Johnson guy, he's just playing in a system <laughs> built around him. Right. So yeah, there's a reason the star player with all the skill has this stuff built around him. But I, but I think well, before you get to historically, I think this is a big talking point for a lot of people. Though the idea that you know some there's a lot of great players out there that never got a chance with a perfect fit, and there's some players that were really really good that had a perfect fit that you know we prop up. And one of the things I was going to ask you later, winning bias. I think a lot of, big part of winning bias is this is a five man sport, and we evaluate one player based on their outcome when. Like a Kevin Garnett in Minnesota, he just didn't have a team that was realistically he could have carried to, you know, right. multiple titles. Right. I mean, Steve Nash had this hang over his head for years. Yeah. Uh, you know, he never won, so therefore he becomes a system player. But back on Jokic, I do think it's important to make a distinction between the perfect fit and you know a player who leads the system. Yeah. Um, you know, I always thought Nash kind of was the system. Yes, you have D'Antoni's stuff and free-flowing offense, and you have something that's more progressive. Right. But, you know, this is the guy driving the ship. The whole idea behind the offense was give him the ball and get out of the way. He's going to make decisions faster than anyone. Jokic has that to the same degree. So, yes, I do think that what you're seeing, some of the numbers, some of the impact metrics are reflective of the fact that he is in a place where he can be, you know, the centerpiece, and it and it plays off of his strengths but and i think it's a big but that doesn't necessarily mean it's an optimal fit that doesn't mean he has the perfect team around him right um I, I would love so two i think the two things for me maybe we could throw in a third but the two things for me are uh, i would love to see him play with a different type of big than paul Millsap. you may sacrifice some stuff defensively although we could Go back. I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts on where Millsap mm. is defensively this year. But, you know, I, I would either think like a stretch big so you have another shooter on the court. And Millsap can shoot, but I mean a really dangerous stretch big. Right. Or a guy with better rim gravity. Mm. You know, a guy, a guy who can get up and uh, is, a, is a severe lob threat and runs and crashes the glass. And that would be an interesting pairing as well. And then yeah. related to that, just better shooters like... The Nuggets have good shooters, but they don't have great shooters. Mm. I think we're learning that this year, um, especially over this last six. The Nuggets are in a bit of a rut since the All-Star break, and a lot of that just has to do with, for whatever reason, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, they're all in a rut with their shot for some reason. So I, I would agree with that. I think they have a couple guys that could be great shooters, but what they've shown so far is a lot of inconsistency. Maybe that's youth. Maybe that's just, you know, they're, they're not as good as, like Jamal Murray. You know, he gets... Steph Curry comps and Kyrie Irving comps, but he's a 37, 38% three point shooter, I think, this year, something like that. So, yeah, he, he's at 36.6 right now. Oof. And, and I, I agree with you in the sense that he is a wrong, I mean, forget Steph Curry for a second, but well, yeah. just, just looking at all time great shooters or guys that are even a little bit below that, he's clearly a rung, rung below the, those guys to me. Uh, and I would be surprised if I like him, right? He's a good shooter, but I would be surprised if this is a guy we're really talking about as a great shooter when we look back on his career. What about great player? I mean, where do you see Jamal Murray? Just what do you think his ceiling is based on what you've seen? Oh, he's still so young. What is he about? Sixteen? 
<laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, just got his license. His big no, it's, inc- it's incredible. It feels like he's been around forever and yet he's still so young. I, I like him. I'm still trying to figure out what to make of him. I, I very much anticipate he'll be a guy I make a video on in the 2020 season. Yeah. Um, you know, I people always connect him with Booker. Mm-hmm. And and my sort of default thing there is, well, when I watch the stuff Murray does, I can see this being more beneficial. I can see his role fitting in on more kinds of winning offenses. And mm-hmm. that's my instinct. So I like him, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure about a ceiling. Like, I'm not sure if can he be a perennial all star? Mm, yeah. I don't know yet. Yeah. That's, yeah what, that's, what do you think? <laughs> I, I'm on. I'm in the same boat with Jamal. I'm I'm probably a little bit lower than most. Um, you know, Nuggets fans, Nuggets analysts. Um, I, I, and the same thing. It sounds like I'm critical of him. I'm not. I think he's going to be a really, really good player. You know, a starter caliber player and all that stuff. But I don't know that I see the star potential with him. It, it's it's there if he becomes a quicker, more volume shooter and and ups the ups you know the percentage a little bit. But I think he might be more of a scorer than a shooter, and I don't know that he's like a top-level scorer. Um, so, and, and then defensively, I think he has a lot, a lot to work on, both some physical limitations and then, um, you know, so that, that's the part I don't know about. To me, you mentioned the power forward, and I'm interested about your Millsap thoughts because a spring gear guy, you mentioned that rim gravity. Jokic and Kenneth Fareed were like a 121 offensive rating or something when they were together, and Fareed's the exact same kind of guy you're talking about, quick jumper, above-the-rim finisher, Problem is he didn't play any defense, but offensively it was a significantly better fit than Paul Millsap. Um, defensively, I actually think Millsap's been pretty good. It sounds like you you thought uh, maybe he is overrated in the impact he, that that he has on this team. No, I just I was thinking of it more of he's getting older, he's had some injuries, mm-hmm. and I think there's a general belief that his defense isn't quite where it used to be. Doesn't mean it's not still pretty good. Yeah, uh, but I was more curious on if you I mean you you see them all the time. I think Millsap is the one guy that's always in the right spot, and and I think that makes a huge difference. I think Jokic does a good job of containing guys, probably more so than people think. And you you made reference to this in your video that, you know, oftentimes he's suckering guys into the the worst types of shots they could have got, and positionally he's right. But Millsap to me is that backline of defense that's always, you know, covering for him. And physically he can't cover in a way making Anthony Davis would, of course. But um, but he does cover, I, I think, quite a bit that, that elevates him. And the numbers show that out, too. I think Jokic and Millsap on the court together, the defense is 103, 104 defensive rating, something like that. Um, let's take a quick break because I really want to get to this fun last segment where we talk about some historical nuggets because there's some interesting ones, and I have a feeling we're going to have a couple guys that, w- that are interesting to talk about. We'll be right back. All right, I'm back here with Ben Taylor, author of Thinking Basketball, Backpicks.com, which you can become a patron. I always encourage people, if you get content from somebody that you really like, become a patron. $2, $4 tiers for him. Uh, you support his work. And uh, I always tell people, set aside a budget, whether it's $10, $20, $30. Set aside a monthly budget for people that you enjoy reading and, and divvy up that money to, to the ones you want to support. So he does some really great work that I think a lot of people will find interesting. Spend your $2 a month to to support it, to keep it going. Um, let's talk about some historical nuggets here. First of all, I'll, I'll start with Jokic just because I, I, we're talking about him and then we'll move out of the way. But I think 
Jokic can be the best Nuggets player of all time, and I don't think that that is so much of a hot take. I think he is on the trajectory he is on is probably going to be, uh, he'll probably become that at some point over the life of this upcoming contract of his. Completely agree. Completely agree. I was thinking about this, uh, doing the video, and some of that is just because the Nuggets haven't had, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, there, I think I think Denver's one of the only franchises that doesn't have a representative in my all-time player series. Yeah. Uh, at least someone who, you know, played regularly there. Matumbo was there for a few years, and he was close. Mm. But, you know, I definitely think Jokic has, uh, especially if he stays for, a, you know, what is it, basically another contract, right? I mean... Yeah, so he's got yeah. this year and four more, which would bring him to, what, what would that be, eight, I believe? Yeah, so. I think that could do it on its own. But I think yeah. if, if he were to come back for another contract, I think... Uh. It's almost a shoe-in that yeah. he would be considered the greatest nugget ever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, let's go. Let's start with the guy that everybody claims as the best nugget ever, which is Alex English. Um, he has a really, really interesting NBA career. Some, some, in some ways, statistically, he jumps way out, and in some ways, I think maybe he he comes off as overrated. I'm curious what what your thoughts are. Well, I think he jumps way out because. The, there was an old coach in Denver named Doug Moe. <laughs> <laughs> and for yeah. those who are wondering why you're why we're cracking up, um, the Nuggets played about 285 miles an hour <laughs> back when the speed limit was like you know 55. Yeah. And so they. It's a great way of putting it, by the way. Well, man, um, they had some of the worst defenses ever because of this style. It was an <laughs> offensively loaded structure, so they would even do stuff like play, you know, fat lever. Um, who was another great player in the 80s for them, they would play him next to another point guard. So you have like, you know, Michael Adams and Fat Lever in the backcourt at the same time. That's like 11 and a half foot of basketball defense uh, (laughs) right there. And so it was just a very offensive-oriented system, and they played incredibly fast, significantly faster than anyone else. And so as a result, guys put up really nice numbers, and it's not to say that Alex English wasn't a really good player. He was. But yes, there, there's some stat inflation there that I think if you're not aware of what's going on, you might at first blush think like, whoa, why wasn't Alex English like perennially making all NBA first team in the 80s or something like that? So he's the leader all time in win shares. And, and that leads me to asking just what are some of the your favorite catch all metrics and and in what ways do you rely on those as a starting point when you're talking about these guys across eras? Ooh, I will definitely, definitely have a video on this at some point this year. Um, it's one I've wanted to make since I started the the channel. Nice. Um, win shares is kind of something I've retired. Okay. Uh, win share, I, I was never a big fan of PER. Yeah. Win shares, I think, used to have a great historical purpose. It, it does a pretty solid job for uh, what it's working with. But I've kind of retired it. Uh, I tend to, with the catch-alls, I tend to look at a handful, and you'll you'll see them come up in my videos. One is box plus minus. Mm-hmm. Um, the one on basketball reference is a is a great stat put together uh, by a brilliant guy. It, I have developed my own that I think is a little more in metric testing. It's a little more specific to a player's skill versus the situation he's in. So I kind of like I kind of like to look at that as a snapshot of saying like okay can you give me a better estimate of this guy's skill independent of his teammates? Then the, uh, Jacob, in the metric, by the way, which one are you alluding to? Uh, the one I developed, my version of box plus minus. Oh, okay, so it's just called yeah. is it's not the AUPM or is it a, it's it's something different? 
No, that's something different. Yeah, okay. I got I got all kinds of historical tricks and tools. Um, okay. We'll, we don't have enough time for that. Adam. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, I also like I like uh, PIPM Jacob Goldstein yeah. over at Nylon Calculus has developed that. Um, that's nice. That's a little bit more hybrid. That's going to have some circumstantial on-off data mixed with box score data. And another one that I just think, kind of running the gauntlet here from like box to non-box, I also like a nice sort of multi-year adjusted plus minus an RAPM that this way I can look at these things and get different perspectives. If you look at ESPN's RPM, it's going to be very similar to like a PIPM because they're both hybrids. Mm. So I've, I've used those before. The, the dirty secret, of course, about RPM is that it's a black box. We don't know right. what's inside of it. Right. Yeah. So, hmm. Um, I, I know that it's funny because I know there's a internal analyst for the Nuggets that that says he's a reverse engineered RPM, or, or or at least that he they they have their own metric that they started from reverse engineering that one, which I always find interesting. Um, let's let's go kind of lightning round about these last guys because I know we got to get out of here. But Dan Issel, just and actually with Alex English, we never we never got to that. Just Alex English, where do you think um, historically he should rate? Do you do you feel like maybe he's a little overrated just from his like per game stats? Yeah, I think if I think if you're someone who's big on per game stats and big on scoring, you probably overrate him. Um, kind of like a perennial low levely all starish guy, maybe mm, for a handful okay. of years in the eighties. Yeah, I, I th- certainly think it. I mean, he was a good passer. He was a really nice passer, nice offensive player. Um, to your point earlier about the three-point shot in the mid-range, he had one of the best mid-range. He had this great yeah. little leaner in the paint. Uh, so he's a nice offensive piece, but um, I think as an overall player, wasn't you know he wasn't at that superstar level. Carmelo Anthony, how do you how do you rate him historically? I imagine not too friendly. Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> Twenty seconds. <laughs> oh man. Um, he was a guy who I used as a quintessential example of the power of ball stopping. Yeah. Or and something I also want to get into in the future of like the the speed of decision making and how that subtle little component can influence. It's like okay, great, you're a great scorer, you're a great isolation scorer, you're an okay passer, but it's the speed of the entire thing as it fits with the players around you that can kind of like bump that up or down in value. And in his case, it bumped it down, and then he was never a great defender. So. Um, I, I think a guy who was strong, but probably quite overrated. So there's a lot of people, and I just you can just go quickly on record with this, but there's a lot of people in Denver that say, don't compare Jokic to Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo, so much better, so much more of an impactful player. And to those people, you say... Um, I would comfortably have Jokic's 2019 peak ahead of any season Carmelo Anthony's ever offered. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so too. Um, Dan Issel. Oh, now you're going way back. Um, <laughs> is this too far back? <laughs> I can't re- look. I can't even remember yesterday, man. Is, uh, um, Dan Issel, he was okay. One of the OG stretch bigs. I think right. that's probably the biggest takeaway with him. Uh, he was a guy who could play off the top of the key, who could hit outside shots. Um, but but again, he was he was like putting up these huge numbers that weren't necessarily because he was a monster level scorer or anything like mm. that. So. He's not really a guy who I think of as, you know, like being a regular all-star, having like that that profile that you look at for a top hundred player of all time. 
Mm. Um, two more here, and we'll try to do different eras here. Dikembe Mutombo, um, he's like the 90s guy for the Nuggets. What do you think about him historically? Yeah, I kind of go the other way on him. I think he's underrated, mm. gener- generally because people underrate defense. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other like really nice takeaway for Deke, especially when he was with Denver, is and Rudy Gobert has this today, is he he doesn't try to do too much on offense. Yeah. Right? And that's often viewed as a negative, but it's actually like, wait a second, you're you're not stripping away stuff. You're able to fit and play alongside other players. And in his case, uh, not a great offensive player, but offensive rebounder and rim finisher. And so that's what you offer. And then you're just a monster defensively. Right. Uh, an absolute, I mean, man, was he good defensively. You talk about not doing too much or not doing things you can't do on offense. That And people don't talk about it. This is my number one thing in basketball. I think it's like one of the most important, most valuable skill sets is just knowing what you're not good at and not doing those things. And it's surprising how few, especially star players um, or, or high-level role players, just don't get that. I guess you don't become a high-level role player unless you get that. But there's so many players that, that seem to not. So... Um, it's to, a it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal, man. It's a, it's a tragedy that Rudy Gobert, man, not even an all star. But yeah. it's because of right, it's because of this kind of stuff. He could have a real um, revenge tour in the playoffs, though. <laughs> There's a chance he'll match up with some of the perfect guys and, and get the better of them, including Jokic, unfortunately. Um, David Thompson. We'll end with this one because I think he's one of the most fascinating nuggets of all time. Boy, I'll say this when I when I first discovered david thompson as a kid looking back you know like oh who's this guy who's dunking on everyone from 10 feet out and putting up these huge numbers uh high rise you know he could they used to say he could like take a quarter he could make change (laughs) off the top of the backboard right at at, at nc state um i think i think in retrospect and having a longer perspective of you know what's valuable in basketball he was a very good scorer he even maybe bordered on being a great scorer but I think of him now as someone who's more one-dimensional, right? Like, mm. didn't didn't necessarily bring it defensively. Wasn't necessarily a great playmaker either. It's he he was a tremendous slasher. If yeah. you watch the film, right? Like he could he had an incredible first step, and that goes a long way. But there, when I think of the annals of great first steps, uh, the first guys that come to my mind are guys like MJ, Dwayne Wade, right. and those those guys turn that into a multi-dimensional attack. Like, okay, I'm gonna go buy you. But I could dunk on you or I could lay it down to this guy for a layup or I could kick it to a guy for a three. I, I don't really quite see that as much with David Thompson. So he's a guy who like when I first discovered him, I was like, oh, my God, why isn't David Thompson <laughs> in everyone's top 50? And now it's more like, OK, David Thompson is really good, but he's got longevity issues. His career right. was. Right, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of off the court stuff. You think about it. I mean, he's 29. He was out the league, so he's he's another guy. And and you mentioned some of the issues. Who knows? Maybe there was a lot of potential. In fact, I think we all know there probably was a lot of potential left on the floor. But um, a fascinating guy. Is there anybody else from the Nuggets that stands out that I missed? That I mean, I kind of went through the main guys, but is there anybody else that that to you deserves mention? Okay, I'm going to go way back here. Okay, Bobby Jones. Sure. Okay, Bobby Jones, kind of most people who know history know him with the 76ers. He played in Philadelphia for a long time. Right. He was on the 83 legendary title team. But Bobby Jones was a defensive dynamo, a monster, uh, a guy who would you know, be willing to make the play, hustle, sacrifice, uh, give it up for teammates. He could pass. He could drive. He could rebound. And to the point we were just talking about, Bobby Jones never tried to do too much. He played his role. Yeah. 
And I think I think one of the things it's one of the coolest little ABA nuggets of history. See what I did there, nuggets. Um, <laughs> nice work. <laughs> uh, Bobby Jones in 1976, Julius Irving had a monster season. I think it was 76, and only three players received MVP votes in the ABA. Julius Irving got every single vote except two. Um, one other player, I think it was George McGinnis, got one. And the only other guy to get an MVP vote was Bobby Jones for the Denver Nuggets. And when Larry Brown was coaching that team, they were a defensively oriented team, and he was a defensive monster anchoring that team. And they came to the NBA after the merger and I believe they were also the best defensive team in the NBA the first season uh, after the merger. So wow, yeah, yeah. and uh, he I almost left out. It, I didn't realize he played the four years because the two were in the ABA. So I always just think of him as a two-year nugget. But I guess that's not fair, you know, to his ABA career as well. But um, but yeah, Bobby Jones, another guy that Altitude Television, the local regional sports network out here needs to they need to go into the archives and bring us some bobby jones tape because i think that would be great to watch over the summer ben thank you so much this was great i kept you a little bit long and i appreciate you you sticking around for that but th this was great is there anything else that i have not plugged that you would like to plug oh not that i can think of i actually i got to get you to come on my podcast or my uh, youtube channel and just always do the patreon plug because that was significantly <laughs> better i'm always like hey guys i have a patreon um if you want to you know throw some throw something at it that'd be great but um no i think you i think you covered everything adam this was really really fun i appreciate it thanks for having me this was a lot of fun and everybody else you can check out on denverstiffs.com the the article attached to this will have links to all of the stuff that he's doing and and will embed the uh, video uh, of this Jokic video that he did. And I, and I promise you, if you listen to this show, you're the type of person that's going to love that video. So so give that, a, give that a look. Give him a follow on Twitter if you're into that thing. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.